All right, I'm turning this evening to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, where we have been uh, parked for a number of weeks now. The first few verses of Matthew chapter 5, and have been looking at the first portion of the Sermon on the Mount, dealing with the Beatitudes. And uh, we are at Matthew 5, verse number 5. So we'll read that verse uh, as we begin. Blessed are the meek... For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There has been over the years a considerable uh, difference of opinion as to exactly what meekness is, how meekness is defined, and what it consists of. Uh, Some have taken, I believe, the easy route and have simply said, meekness is the same as humility. Uh, I think that's an incomplete approach to meekness. Now, humility is important, no doubt. Uh, it's it's a certainly a, 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 a characteristic that we as believers should demonstrate. But I think that's an incomplete definition. Uh, honestly, there is not a single term which is capable of fully expressing all that is included in this characteristic or this virtue of meekness. Now, you'll notice that there is this reference, again, to those who are blessed. And we see that the verse says, Blessed or blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we do know a couple things about what meekness isn't. We know that meekness is not the uh, high-tempered, high-spirited man. Uh, But this is something that is illustrated by someone who probably is more on the humble side. Uh, There is no blessing proclaimed on a person who is quick-tempered and quick to anger. We're going to deal with uh, anger on Sunday morning. Uh, But nevertheless, tonight we look at this blessing is on the meek. I do certainly think that the meek and meekness does include humility, Uh, But it's much more than just demonstrating humility. So I thought the best way for us to actually determine a working definition of meekness uh, is not from Webster's Dictionary, but rather from what the Scripture reveals about it. Now I'm just going to give you these verses and I'm going to read these references, uh, so I won't have you turn to these. But one of the first things that we see throughout Scripture is that meekness cannot be separated from lowliness. Meekness cannot be separated from lowliness. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says this, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. So Jesus makes the connection between meekness and lowliness. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writes, Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness, and meekness. So there's two verses, one quote by the Apostle Paul, one by Jesus himself. Both of them use meekness and lowliness together. So first of all, we have to link the word meekness with lowliness. Secondly, we cannot separate or divorce it from gentleness. So meekness and gentleness go together. So now we have this, these words meek, lowly, and gentle. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, 
Paul writes, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So even Paul, as he began, continued to admonish the church at Corinth, he connected meekness and their gentleness. In Titus 3, 2, Paul writes, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So we're seeing this connection between meekness, humility, lowliness, gentleness. But then thirdly, we need to look at what is meekness in opposition to, or what is it opposite of. First of all, meekness is opposed to wrath. Meekness is opposed to wrath. In James verses, James chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, James writes, Receive with meekness the engrafted word. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So James even writes about receiving the word of God with meekness. So think about the application there. We're to receive the word of God in humility, in lowliness, in gentleness. And we are to receive the engrafted word and not in wrath. But then fourth, we need to look at meekness from a divine promise. Psalm 25.9 says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. So we see that there is a divine promise that's given to those who will live in meekness. So this gives us the principle here that Jesus, as he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, is demonstrating to us that this characteristic or this virtue of meekness is the result of a yielded heart and a submitted will. Those terms, lowliness, humility, gentleness, those require an individual to have their heart yielded up to a higher power. They require our will to be submitted to the will of another. So as we continue to kind of build this case as to what are the working definitions of this, let's look at another, uh, another way of looking at the meaning and the scope of this word meek. And we look at this in the, the context of the preceding two verses. Remember what we've already learned. Blessed are the poor in spirit, verse number 3, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We dealt with what it is to be poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we see the scope of the word meekness here has to be taken in context of the two preceding verses. So it must be kept in mind that Jesus is doing something here. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes in an orderly development. And I believe what's clear from what we're seeing happening is Jesus is showing, showing us the development of God's work of grace in the life of His people. Oftentimes we have the idea that when God's grace comes on, it just comes on us like a freight train and we just receive all of God's grace. No, God's grace comes upon us and then there's this orderly development of these virtues and these characteristics. We're not naturally meek. We're not naturally poor in spirit. We're not by nature going to mourn over our sin. Actually, probably quite the opposite. So this is a development of God's grace. So we know that meekness is not something man can create. Man doesn't create meekness in and of himself. This is a work of God's grace. So as Jesus was talking about these Beatitudes, 
realize something, that Jesus was not calling people to, to just simply obey these as a command, but he was rather instructing that as the work of God's grace proceeds in your life, you will see the evidence of these things, these virtues, these characteristics. So what have we learned up until this point of meekness? Well, we learned about poverty of spirit. To be poor in spirit means we have a sense of our insufficiency and our nothingness. We realize that we're unworthy and that we're unprofitable of ourselves. Secondly, we learned last week there's a mourning over our lost condition. There is a sorrowing for the awfulness of our sins against God. So thirdly, that leads us into this concept of meekness. We have meekness as the fruit of of an emptying of ourself and a humbling of ourselves. In other words, if we're going to put this in a working definition to begin with tonight, meekness is patience that's evidenced by a broken will and a receptive heart before God. I'll say that again. Meekness is patience evidenced by a broken will and a receptive heart before God. Meekness is not only the opposite of pride, but it's also the opposite or the anti, the antithesis of stubbornness, fierceness, and vengefulness. So meekness is opposite of some things. It's opposite of being stubborn. It's opposite of being fierce. It's opposite of being raging. It's opposite of being wrath-filled. It's opposite of vengeance now remember jesus was talking especially in these first portions of the sermon on the mount to many people who'd been afflicted affliction doesn't just mean in scripture it doesn't just mean that you're afflicted with illness afflictions might be a trial affliction might be a persecution affliction might be some kind of an unjust attack on you so really, in the idea of what Jesus is talking about here in, this, in the idea of meekness is related to patience and how we patiently receive maybe even unjust treatment. It's not difficult to be gentle. It's not difficult to be humble. It's not difficult to be lowly when we're not being challenged. But when we're being attacked... Or when we're being unjustly uh, afflicted, how do we exhibit meekness? If meekness is related to patience and patience is related to meekness, meekness is patience even in the receiving of unjust affliction or unjust injury. In other words, where we see meekness most being demonstrated, most important, is when we are unjustly afflicted. Blessed are the meek. Now, let's, let's get something straight. Meekness is not weakness. And I'm not trying to be cute, but meekness is not weakness. Meekness is also not being a coward. Meekness is not being mean, or is it surrendering your rights? But rather, what meekness is, it's the opposite of sudden anger, intentional malice, and bitter, harbored vengeance. In other words, meekness 
is something that we ought to strive for. Christ insisted on his own right when he said, If I have done evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why smitest thou me? John 18, 23. Paul asserted his right when he said, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Yet they did not exert their rights. In other words, they didn't say, I, am, I have the right to, to resist this. I have a right to go against this. No, Jesus, we know, submitted himself in a humble and lowly manner. Jesus Christ was the, he is the very model of what meekness ought to look like. If I want to know what meekness looks like, I, I have to look no further than Jesus Christ and his example. I see in Jesus, we see lowliness. His own words say, I am meek and I am lowly. He's the one that he says of himself that he's meek. Yet Christ had this at one of his characteristics. Again, the full verse in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. So Paul... On the ascent, we of course know that no man suffered more unjustly than Jesus Christ. Probably second in line, I think we would all agree, would be the Apostle Paul. Paul suffered unjustly. There's probably no man other than Jesus who endured more wrong or endured it and also endured more wrong more patiently than Paul. You see, Paul and Jesus both we never see them seeking revenge. Of all the things that all the people that could have sought revenge, the Apostle Paul, as a human, he had a lot of reasons. He could have made a note and he could have made a list and say, all the people I'm going to get back at. He demonstrated meekness by not striking back against those who had injured him. We talk about patience being a virtue. Understand something about patience. Your patience is truly seen in your meekness. If you are meek, you are going to be patient. Again, patience is not difficult when everything's going right. Patience is difficult when you are unjustly receiving the affliction by the hands of someone else. Jesus, poor, Jesus bore all his unjust treatment patiently. Paul endured unjust treatment patiently. Paul and Jesus themselves were never guilty of trampling down the rights of others to secure their own rights. We hear a lot about that in our world today, about that's my right. These are my rights. I have a right to. That's the very opposite. It's the very opposite of meekness. Just because you have a right to do, it doesn't mean that you use it to trample on someone else. We do have rights in this country. We have rights that are given to us. But remember, every right that we have is given by God. Ultimately, our rights given, are given to us by God. They're not given to us by a government. They're not given to us by a law. They're given to us by God. And God does not tell us to exert our rights to trample down someone else. No, we are to endure patiently with meekness even when we're receiving unjust treatment. 
I know through this pandemic, we have churches that all across the country have screamed out saying, we're not being treated fairly. We're, this, is, this is our right. And yes, maybe we do have a right. But meekness is enduring and receiving those afflictions and receiving those injuries even though we don't deserve them. How do we respond to those kind of things? The easiest thing to do, folks, is to respond in kind to mistreatment. I mean, let's be honest. If someone mistreats you, the easiest thing to do is to mistreat them right back. The most godly thing to do is to treat them with meekness and with patience and don't return fire for fire. That's anti-nature, though. That goes against our human nature. We all, in our heart, if someone messes with the wrong person, we all have a very vengeful spirit that's just laying right underneath the surface. Parents know it. Spouses know it. You can mess with me. Don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my spouse. We all know what we're talking about here. And it's like, if you mess with them, I, I want to get back at you. But yet... We're supposed to respond in meekness. But what about my rights? Jesus never exerted his rights that he, right, he had the right to do. Either did Paul. So there's a lesson here. That meekness is patience in the reception of injury. So you're going to see this common theme that meekness is patience. Secondly, meekness is patience in the reception of injuries with a belief that God will vindicate. Meekness is patience in the reception of injuries with a belief that God will vindicate. In Romans 12, there's a great passage here about not only where vengeance belongs, but how we are to treat others. Again, these are, these are not the verses that get people's attention often. But they're so very important, and it's in the passage that Paul deals with primarily how to overcome evil with good. Meekness is really about overcoming evil. Meekness is about overcoming evil. In Romans 12, verse 9, Paul writes, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, Give him drink. For in, doing, in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now the word meekness is never used there in verses 9 through 21, but it's there. 
That requires us not only to be lowly and gentle and humble, but those are characteristics of a person who's meek. Meekness patiently does what's right in the sight of God. Folks, really, we are not doing what we do to please man. We're doing what's right in the sight of God. Why we do what we do, why we act the way we act, is supposed to be representative of who we serve. If we serve God, then that's who our life ought to be patterned after. It shouldn't be something that we simply say, you know, but they did me wrong. I mean, think about these verses. If your enemy hungers, feed him. That's, that's the epitome of humility. Think about what an enemy is. An enemy is not just a, 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 an off-base acquaintance. We're talking about an enemy, somebody who despises you, and yet he says, if he's hungry, feed him. But then God does make the promise that, listen, vengeance is mine. He sees it. He knows it. Thirdly, meekness is patient in the reception of injuries with a belief that God produces peace. Meekness is patience in the reception of injuries with the belief that God produces peace. Have you ever heard the expression, the true greatness of soul? Or the greatness of a soul? The greatness of a soul is marked by a heart that is not easily moved by small things. In other words, it takes a lot to move a meek heart. It takes a lot to move them to anger. It takes a lot to move them to vengeance. It takes a lot to move them to the place where they want to get payback. Folks, the only way you can live a life that is characterized by meekness is understanding, number one, that God himself has said, I will repay. Here's what I will do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that you are going to suffer for the cause of Christ. You are going to suffer unjustly. You are going to be treated unfairly. But he says, I don't want you to change your behavior based upon how you're treated. That's why Jesus gives the example of turning the other cheek. They ask you to go a mile, go two. If the man needs your coat, give it to him. Folks, do you know how hard these things are to do in the real life and how they hard they are to live? These are not just Bible concepts. This is the reality of how we actually live our lives. It produces peace even in the midst of chaos. How do we have peace in the midst of chaos? That's what meekness does. Meekness is patience. It comes from a heart that is not moved by the little things. It looks upon those who are causing affliction to us personally. It looks at them with pity. A meek heart is not a heart that is constantly ruffled, constantly at, up, in, up in the air. They don't suffer or respond to every insult, every injury. Everything doesn't rise a storm of passion in them. Folks, we probably all know of somebody who's got a quick fuse. You might be that quick fuse. You may have been that quick fuse. 
That's not the, that's not the virtue of meekness. A meek person is not disturbed at every person that tries to disturb him. <laughs> Can I tell you, there's an intentional attack on you as a believer to try to disturb you. There's an intentional attack on the cause of Christ and there's an intentional attack on Christ. And this should not take us by surprise because Jesus himself said, you are going to suffer for my sake. We should not be surprised at the trials and the afflictions that come. We shouldn't be surprised when we receive these things. And it's the, the meekness and having patience. Even when we're receiving things we shouldn't receive. We don't want to be one, one preacher of old. I, don't even, I couldn't even find the reference. I just saw this. Said the person who is meek is not like a troubled sea that cannot rest. See, the meek find rest. They find peace even in the midst of affliction. They find peace even in the midst of a year-long pandemic. They still find peace. They're not disturbed at everything that's happening and every wrong thing that's being addressed to them. Now, the connection that Jesus makes here is interesting, and, and I'm going to move through this quickly, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, so if we have to break this up, we will. But the second part of the verse is really key to understanding what he's saying here. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This phrase, they shall inherit the earth, can be translated in, in inherited the land. Now that's important because remember, a lot of Jesus' audience would have been Jews. These Jews made a direct connection between the possession of land and God's blessing. So when Jesus uses this terminology that the meek shall inherit the earth, what Jesus was referencing here was to the manner in which the Jews commonly expressed themselves to say, you can know if you're truly blessed by how much land you inherit. Okay? They would, they would connect blessing with how much land they were going to receive. As a matter of fact, we see uh, Scripture after Scripture that makes reference to the Jews receiving land. Now remember, it was promised to the Jews that they would inherit the land of Canaan, the promised land. So for a very long time, the patriarchs of the Old Testament were looking forward to the inheritance of the land of Canaan because they considered the land of Canaan the great blessing of God. What Jesus is connecting here is not so much about the patriarch's connection to the inheritance of the promised land, but the inheritance of the kingdom of God. See, remember, Jesus is writing, or speaking, preaching the Sermon on the Mount to those who are of the kingdom. He's connecting being in Him and inheriting the kingdom of God. We can look all the way back to Genesis 15 with Abraham, where there's a connection made between the inheritance of the land and blessing. Genesis 15, verses 7 through 11. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? 
And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. I just want you to see the connection between Abraham says to the Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit the land? Abraham was looking for an inheritance. He was looking for the inheritance of a land. Again, Jesus makes the connection between blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. This is not a coincidence or just a random statement that Jesus is making. In Exodus 32, verses 11 through 14, we see something similar being given to Moses. It says there in verse number 11 of Exodus 32, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever." And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. There's a connection between the inheritance and the inheritance of a land. When the Jews came out of Egyptian captivity as they were journeying through the wilderness, all of their hopes, all of the promises, all of the covenant was realized when they took possession of that promised land. Okay, now, many of them didn't see it, right? Even Moses didn't go into the promised land because he disobeyed God and struck the rock instead of speaking to it, remember? And he said, because of this, you will not go into the, into the promised land. But when they finally went into the promised land, they realized they were in possession. They had inherited the land in which God had promised to them. Now, that's the background of what Jesus is saying here. So in the time of Christ... They were in the constant habit of using the Old Testament. Remember, I say this so often. When we're reading the New Testament, remember, when Jesus was speaking the Sermon on the Mount, He didn't tell them, take out your scroll and turn to Matthew 5. He's speaking and he's, they have the Old Testament in their mind. They have the Old Testament promises. They're thinking about the covenant so Jesus is using what was the normal way of speaking in that day where that promise perpetually occurs over and over again. It had become so commonplace that the inheritance of the land became a proverb. It became an expression that would denote or would announce a great blessing. So in other words, when someone was receiving a blessing, it was compared to inheriting the land. Does that make sense? There's a, it's, it's a really interesting illustration as to how this would have been so much more than just an offhand. Oh, by the way, the meek are going to inherit the earth. It wasn't something so mundane. It was inherit the earth. 
all the promises we saw in the Old Testament with Abraham and with Moses inherit the earth? So this is really, this is really a groundbreaking statement that Jesus makes. Now what Jesus is not saying is He's not saying that the meek are going to own great property or have many lands. But He is saying this, they are going to possess special, they're going to have special blessings. And every one of us who is a child of God knows there are special blessings of being in the family of God. When you got saved, you didn't inherit land from God. God didn't give you the promised land. He didn't give you Canaan. He didn't give you a tract of land or real estate somewhere. But you inherited the blessings. The Jews, remember, the Jews considered heaven. We forget about this sometimes. The Jews considered heaven to be, or considered Canaan rather, to be a type of heaven. Canaan was not just a place to them. Canaan was a type of heaven. So when they went into that promised land, they considered that as an inheritance of heaven. To inherit the land became something that was a great blessing to receive. So what Jesus means here when He uses this language, He says that the meek shall be received into His kingdom. They will partake of the blessings here. That's the inheritance now. But we're also going to experience the glories of heaven later. The picture of earthly Canaan. You see, it's so important that when we read Scripture that we get a little bit of understanding of the backstory of what's happening here. Because if we don't, get, if we don't make that connection, we start, to, we start to conjure up all sorts of weird things. Folks, this is how the prosperity gospel people get some of their false doctrine. Oh, if I act meek, I'm going to inherit great land somewhere. If I do it well enough, I'm going to inherit the whole earth. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about inheriting actual land. He was talking about something spiritual, the kingdom of heaven. So what is the value of meekness then? If the meekness is not going to equate to worldly property or even success in life, but it's often exhibited in the Scriptures that the meek, patient, and mild man is referred to as the most prosperous, even if he doesn't own anything. We should desire meekness over all the riches in the world. We should desire meekness over all the land in the world. If you had a choice given to you about being meek, or being the richest person in the world, you should desire meekness. I should desire meekness. But we also see the connection, as we remembered, about not returning fire for affliction. Oftentimes, a non-meek individual, you will find, often is very quarrelsome, and he, also, he often has very many enemies. He loses a lot of property. He spends his time constantly disputing and arguing instead of being honest, instead of just being meek and sober in his dealings. Folks, there are people that we probably sadly know who it seems like at every turn, they are just involved in disputes. That really should not be our manner of life. It is not a badge of Christian honor to be involved in disputes all the time. 
And it's not, there's a big difference in apologetics and being in a dispute. I think you all know what I'm talking about. There's a big difference in, in, in standing for your faith and standing, but getting involved in some of the disputes like, like we see on our beloved social media, it, it, does, it does no value to you and it does no value to them. No one's mind has ever been changed from a social media post. You're not going to change someone's mind. You're not going to change their mind by quarreling and disputing with them, but rather respond in meekness. Well, what if I'm attacked online? What if I'm attacked in person and, and my rights are taken away? Then we're supposed to respond like Jesus said to respond. We're supposed to respond like Paul responded. Yes, I have rights I could exert, but I'm going to respond in meekness. I love what Spurgeon said about the meek. He said, the meek are lowly minded and are ready to give up their portion in the earth. Therefore, it shall come back to them. They neither boast nor contend nor exalt over others. Yet are they heirs of all the good which God has created on the face of the earth. In their meekness, they are like their king and they shall reign with him. The promised land is for the tribes of the meek. Before them, the Canaanites shall be driven out. He has the best of this world who thinks least of it and least of himself. That's pretty good. I want to quickly take you to 1 Peter chapter 2. I know our time is running short tonight, but 1 Peter chapter 2, and look with me at verse 13. I believe that this is the closest biblical definition in Scripture to what meekness is. So this is, this is the closest I think we're going to get. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering, now notice, don't miss this last word, wrongfully, Endure grief and suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Peter is not writing about a friendly environment. He is writing about an environment where you are suffering wrongfully and being buffeted on every side. And he says, yet there's a way you should respond. You should respond like Christ did. 
And he gives the reason, verse 25, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This world is not what we're fighting for. Even the world's preservation is not what we're fighting for. This earth in its current form, scripturally speaking, will burn up. Its systems, the way in which it functions, it will someday cease to exist. But yet our glory is not in those things. Meekness is the opposite of self-will toward God and the opposite of ill-will toward men. The meek are those who quietly submit themselves before God to His Word, to His rod, who follow His directions and comply with His designs and are gentle toward men. That's from Matthew Henry. As pointed out, this is not constitutional. In other words, this is not natural. This is, this is not a part of who we are, but it's gracious. It's the fruit of the Spirit's working. Meekness is the result of the Spirit's working. Meekness consists in our spirit and our will being made pliable. Think about this today. Are you actually teachable? I think we've all met people, and hopefully it's not ourselves, that have an unteachable spirit. The worst place for a person to get is to be unteachable. To have an unteachable spirit means I can't be taught about spiritual things. I can't be taught about I already know everything. Speaking prophetically through Isaiah, Jesus Himself said, or a prophet Isaiah said, and Jesus would actually speak this later in Isaiah 16.1, The Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto whom? Unto the meek. Why are we to be meek to receive the word of God? Because we're bowing to the authority of God. Psalm 149.4 says, For the Lord taketh pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. I believe meekness always implies a teachable spirit. I came across this late in the day. One of my other favorites is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said, once again, therefore, I would define meekness like this. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. That, it seems to me, is its essential quality. The man who's truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. You see, the meek are blessed. The meek are those who have quietly, reverently, patiently submitted themselves to God. They patiently bear insult. They take suffering. When they do return an answer, they return with a soft answer. They're not tail bearers, they're not fire starters. In their patience, they keep possession of their very soul. The meek are happy. They can even be happy in this world, believe it or not. You know, it's an amazing thing. We, I do not believe we're supposed to live this life as Christians in a total somber, defeated manner. I think we should be happy in this world. 
If the only thing we need to make us happy is to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, that should bring us happiness. Meekness promotes comfort. It promotes health, safety, even in this world. We are to leave the meek, leave everything, which includes ourselves, our rights, our causes, our entire future in the hands of God. So that even if we're suffering unjustly and unfairly, we can say God is in control. God has this. It's a lot easier to be meek when you're not under attack. But true meekness is exhibited when we're being treated unfairly and unjustly. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I would say not just in this life, but also in the life to come. Blessed are the meek. Let's stand together, if you would. We'll be dismissed in prayer tonight. I hope this helped you. If it didn't help you, it helped me. And it was just a great encouragement to me today to be reminded of these truths and to just be reminded of all God has done. And I trust we'll leave here tonight rejoicing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this evening. We thank You for the privilege of being able to read Your Word together, to be able to learn, to be able to hear the Word of God preached. And Father, I pray that this has been received into our hearts and that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding and discernment. Lord, we realize it is not easy to live in this world. We realize it is, it is filled with difficulties. It is filled with unfair, unjust treatment. But Lord, when we begin to think as if we're being treated unfairly and unjustly and harshly, may we remember our Savior. May we keep in mind that no one has suffered so unfairly and so unjustly as the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing we will ever endure will compare to what He voluntarily submitted Himself to. It's an amazing thought to me to think that Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary in meekness. He did not resist. He did not fight. He simply submitted to the Father's will. Lord, may we learn this great lesson tonight. Lord, I know that there are times when we are going to struggle mightily. But thank you for the great reminder you've given to us this evening. Lord, I pray now that you'll go with us as we leave this place. Lord, prepare our hearts for this coming Lord's Day as we gather once again to hear your word being preached and proclaimed to us. We thank you for this evening. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake, I ask these things. Amen. All right. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here.